Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We're being joined tonight by Jason Memo as we discuss Gnosticism and comics. We're continuing our discussion from our YouTube show that we had filmed earlier. Welcome back, Jason. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh, although um, I'm, I'm going to spend, I, I, I spent like five minutes talking about Grant Morrison in the last episode, and I feel so bad about that. I'm going to spend the next 45 just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So let's do uh, that then. So um, <laughs> let me, okay. somebody's got to get this thing back on track. Jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, tell us, uh, you mentioned um, you mentioned Grant Morrison. You mentioned the Invisibles, um, and we didn't really get a lot of time to talk about that. You also mentioned in the off-air section in between here, you mentioned Prometheus. Um, uh, Promethea. Oh, sorry, Promethea. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I am not a comic book guy historically. So. That's okay. Forgive yeah. me for my lack of nerdiness in that in that area. <laughs> no, uh, I would say in terms of people who don't know the name Promethea, you are definitely not. Uh, <laughs> but I should, <laughs> though, you know. Well, after this episode, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At um, any rate, so yeah, so why don't you uh, go back over real briefly uh, what uh, what the Invisibles is, and um, and then let's talk about specifically some Gnostic stuff about it. Okay. Well, so specific, what, what, uh, and everything here is going to be rife with spoilers. So spoiler alert for the whole show, um, is, uh, the invisibles, the, the tagline that I figured out just by the end there was, um, X files by the way of, or sorry, no, um, what did I say? Oh, um, William S. Burroughs by way of the X-Men. So it's a team of people going through some crazy reality bending stuff. Uh, trying to figure out how to liberate both themselves and us from uh, from the, the the kind of the world that they're in. So, um, and and when I say like liberate, it's, they're like they're fighting archons. One of them calls themselves like the king of all tears, and uh, and are and are essentially trying to find a way to to get through this world to. Um, to a, like sort of a, a not even a world beyond, more like more like get to the place where we finally all remember who we are and where we came from. Um, there, there's a few lines that sort of reverberate through the series, and some of them are that um, uh, like this is not a rebellion; it's a rescue mission. Mm-hmm. Is one thing that goes a lot through it, um, or uh, uh, tr- try to remember. Is another phrase that comes that kind of reverberates through it. That there's this um, kind of an entity, kind of a state of consciousness called Barbalith, which mm-hmm. I think um, is probably referencing Barbello. Oh. Um, that is is that when people experience or or, or attain contact with Barbalith, it, they've essentially been given this like sliver of enlightenment. So they are they are like totally now connected to to the state of mind that they're tr- that they want to liberate the rest of humanity to, and this the the, the again huge spoiler alert, uh, but it's still worth reading the whole thing. Is at the end of the story, that's what's happened. We are now like the revelation, the apocalypse has happened, and we are we are like we're off the karma train, you know. Oh man, you just rocked that for me. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to do it. I don't know. <laughs> Who was it, Robert Kirkman? I think he said the spoilers don't 
exist after two weeks. So if you hadn't, <laughs> you haven't read it after two weeks of it being published, it's your problem. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I think this book finished in 2001. So <laughs> we're, we're far past the spoiler period. Uh, yeah. So where do you think it came from? I mean, do you think do you think that he is drawing directly from, say, the source material, the Nagamati Library, or uh, or is it kind of just a it's in the air and he just kind of drew yeah. from it? Well, I uh, both. I think I think they're both true. Um, so Grant Morrison. I mean, the the man himself. He's very much a showman. He's very. Uh, like listening to interviews, he's like you can tell he's like sort of living the fiction in in many ways of the world that he's created, which is totally cool. I'm behind that. Um, but so what Graham Morrison has said is that The Invisibles is the result of an experience he had in Kathmandu, possibly after taking peyote, uh, in which entities from beyond time and space pulled him outside of time and space, we could understand that everything was one thing and communicated to him in, through these uh, hyper-contextual uh, word forms that he couldn't really understand. And essentially, The Invisibles, uh, ultimately, is him trying to sort of figure that out, is work through that. Um, he's also described the series as, as an enormous hyper-sigil to meditate on the information that those entities gave him uh, to help everyone get to what he calls the super context. So, I mean, like, it's, this is very dense stuff. Uh, I think, um, and like, and he's, I think he's referencing the Nag Hammadi, or he's at the very least, you know, he's flipped through a copy and went, Barbello, that sounds cool. Right, right. Which, <laughs> it, could, it, it could be as simple as that. And, but he's, and he's also referencing um, Philip K. Dick, like, the Empire Never Ended, they, they reference at, at one yes. point, and, um, like, they reference, it, it's, it's rife with references. Well, you so, mentioned his that experience you described. You know, that, that's very much along the lines of the experience that Philip K. Dick had that led towards his, you know, essentially his <laughs> nervous breakdown um, that accompanied his yeah. uh, his visions. Um, and and we know Philip K. Dick spent the rest of his life also writing and trying to make sense of that experience um, mm -hmm. with varying degrees of success, apparently. So it yeah, yeah it, 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 so a lot of people often say that uh, art is the language of Gnosticism, you know, and mm -hmm. poetry and literature, especially, just because of the the you know the ease with which you can use words to kind of convey these weird ideas, um, and and whereas, well, I don't know, I think that's the end. Yeah, of it. yeah. Well, <laughs> But I, I think I think where you were going is exactly the right direction. Like uh, like logos is a very linguistic mm -hmm. way of looking at what's what that that entity is doing. Is like it, it, that they're communicating through a message. You know, um, they're not just, or, or rather that this that the, the the experience of gnosis has to be carried somehow. It has to be trans transmitted. Um, uh -huh. It can't. It's not just telepathically beamed in, in everyone's heads. They have right. to go through, a, in many senses, a narrative, you know, uh, that's to go through a story. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think that's, that, that's a huge part of it. And I think, and you're right, like, I think uh, there is very much a Philip K. Dick, Grant Morrison connection there. I think what's, what's maybe interesting is that what, whereas I think 
um, Dick had such a hard time understanding how to live in the world after that. Mm -hmm. Whereas it feels like Grant Morrison uh, almost embraced the 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 the, the, the I think it, it, he embraced what it did to him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what it did to his perception of reality in a way that, that well, I mean, I don't know the man personally, so I mean, it, this, this, it all could be just a very uh, intense act, but I mean, uh, I, I feel like his, his coping mechanism has, has been better. better. Uh, better is not the right word, but he's definitely coping. Yeah, it's almost as if yeah. the, that he is... He's decided that the myth, you know, and, and not using that word pejoratively, but you know, deciding that the the Gnostic myth is just the way things are, and you know, reframe your whole worldview with that in mind. I think something that a lot of us, a lot of us who are religious Gnostics, I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, you know, what do you mean there are actual, you know, beings that you know that want to keep us down and you know a lot of people look at those things symbolically or psychologically and that's a valid way of looking at them too but you know a lot of people have experiences that feel more real than that yeah right yeah well and this this is actually and this is probably only especially because i've been mainlining it for the last uh few weeks uh is so i read i reread invisibles to to prepare for this and i also reread promethea alan moore's work and uh, although Alan Moore has been, I think, a little cagier with his with his experiences, um, he essentially came to Gnosticism or mysticism through uh, reading, uh, sorry, through writing the comic book From Hell, which is where, uh, the story of Jack the Ripper. And his Jack, uh, his his Ripper, which again, spoiler alert, is is uh, the Doctor, uh, I think William Gull, is uh, speaking to his coachman as they're riding around. Um, around London. And Alan Moore said, like, I was, I thought I was writing a Victorian, you know, uh, Baroque villain who spoke grandiosely about the world. And, and, um, and I was using him to kind of do this really interesting tour through London of stuff that I just thought was spooky and weird. But then Gull at one point says, uh, oh, the, uh, the gods exist. Uh, the, the gods, I, I think, um, I should actually have dug up the copy so I had it to hand. But basically that the gods exist in our heads and they're indisputably real there. And he said, once I'd written that line, I couldn't discount it. I couldn't go, well, that's just a villain talking. It's just being, you know, he's just being wordy. He's like, uh, no, that actually sounds really true. And uh, since then, he's, he got involved in all kinds of like very sort of uh, thelemic, um, occult, uh, golden dawny kind of stuff um and, but i think also in very many ways sort of home brewing his own um rituals and such and, and in his own ways come in contact with entities and forces that through his own and through what promethea is through his own communication uh, with them and and uh through them what uh and i'm this is all a very rambling way of coming around to what you were saying there father tony was about uh the idea of for the religious gnostic about of dealing with the, the idea of like there are these forces out there that want to that want to you know that that wish us ill or that wish us well mm-hmm. is that uh what what alan moore has has said uh in many forms since that experience is that out there and in here are not dissimilar like they're not um they are the same 
like one equals the other. And so it's, it's not a matter of like, oh, it's all in your head, don't worry about it. Like everything is in all of our heads. Like we haven't, you know, um, we, we don't even know how consciousness really works. So it's all in our heads. <laughs> Like, yeah, Lon, uh, Lon Duquette says, uh, it's all in our heads, we just don't know how big our heads are. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, like, and I think where Alan Moore's coming from. And it, ultimately, I think between Philip K. Dick, um, uh, Grant Morrison, and then uh, Alan Moore, and again, huge Alan Moore fanboy, but I think Alan Moore has really found the way to live that uh, the most... Uh, safely, I would say, mm-hmm. um, because I say like at least the Grant Morrison that I that, that he presents to the public is, is very much a showman, um, whereas the Alan Moore that presents himself to the public appears to be very much the Alan Moore that he appears to be in all the other instances that of like where I've read of him and read like the people I know that know him the kind of thing. It's it all kind of it, it feels like he's found a very legitimate way of living in the world even having gone, gone through that experience. Um, and actually, so Promethea, I kind of dropped the name of it there. But what I, I think to, to kind of quickly give the, the, uh, the overview of Promethea is that, uh, that a young woman discovers that there's this character of Promethea that keeps popping up in all of these different fictions. Like there's this 17th century poet who writes a fairy story about Promethea. And then like later on, um, there's, there's somebody doing a, a, like kind of a strip comic, like little Nemo in slumberland. Um, only in this case, uh, in this case, there's a Promethea there. Uh, there are these old pulp stories in the, in the thirties and forties of a Promethea that's very Conan-esque. She's a warrior woman. Um, and then a Promethea woman, uh, figure that is in more like almost romance comics in the seventies, uh, then followed by like more you know, 80s dark comics, there's yet another Promethea. And then, so this woman, uh, Sophie, uh, interesting name, Sophie, maybe he's dropping a Gnostic hint there, um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) is is, um, researching this for a college paper. She goes, oh, this is interesting. Like, uh, there doesn't be common thread except for the name, but it's it's an interesting name. So so she tracks down the last person who was married to the writer of the last Promethea. Um, and by the end of that issue, that, that woman has basically said, Promethea exists whenever somebody starts writing about her. Writing about her cre- literally creates her in the world, and then they get attacked by a demon. So Sophie has to write about Promethea, and then she becomes the next Promethea. That's the first issue. And then everything else after that is essentially Alan Moore running with that idea as far as he can, and also, very much explicitly, using her as a as a way to talk to the reader about about mystical concepts. He talks about like the four uh, like mystical weapons or or tools, like the cup, the pentacle, the wand, the sword. Um, he goes through um, like he goes through every one of the major arcana in possibly one of the most ambitious comic I've ever read. Where in rhyming couplets, these two snakes on his on the caduceus uh, of, of Prometheus' wand tell the story of human of well, uh, like of, of I don't know of from the Big Bang to now through the major arcana of the tarot, while Scrabble letters that spell Promethea rearrange to something that connects to each one of those cards, while 
a joke of Aleister Crowley's is being uh, told at the bottom of every page. And it's like, it's amazing. It's just, you're like, I can't believe it exists. And then the other thing is that the whole thing could be read like one long tapestry, like a scroll. Um, they have to cut it up for the book because you can read it just in a, in a buy it at the, at the store. But people have since online put it as one long thing so you can just scroll along and read this story. Um, and then after he's so like that's not enough, he goes through each one of the, the Sephiroth of the Kabbalah and takes you like into each one and says like this is kind of what this place is supposed to be about and what it what it what its meaning is on the tree and and like it is it is very dialectical. It's very much you know, um, clearly it's, it's to educate the reader through a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people have gone like, it's just Alan Moore lecturing us, but I mean, it's a beautiful lecture. It's really, the art is amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'll stop rambling now, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, I would say it's possibly, um, if, if the invisibles is something that kind of lets you feel what it feels like maybe to be a Gnostic or to get to, to break into some of those ideas, Promethea is almost like a um, like a manual, you know. You could almost read that like like a, like a uh, an instruction manual on on or a reference book on like what each of these different sections mean. Um, the the the, uh, the apocalypse, uh, the revelation. So like the invisibles ends on the revelation. It's actually like it ends on an empty page or on an empty panel, um, in a very brilliant way. Like it's it's a great ending. Promethea takes us to that ending and then actually goes, oh, and it turns out the next day after the revelation, after everybody's Gnostic, no, every, after everybody experiences total Gnosis at the same time, it turns out you still wake up the next day and you still live a life, but now it's just a life where everybody has experienced this. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you do after Gnosis? What do you do after that experience? And this kind of gets back to what I was saying about how I feel like Alan has landed on how to live in it Right. It's because he's, he's told a story where the characters have had it, and now they still go to dinner. They still have to use the bathroom. You know what I mean? They're yeah. still, they still live in the world. Mm-hmm. We've um, talked about this on the show before. It's okay. You know, you, 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 it's not, this is not a process that just you pursue this, and there's your goal and your end goal, and then you just stop. It's something that, mm-hmm. okay, You've, you've achieved something, now you've got to go further. Now you've got to take that and do more with it. Your responsibilities actually increase. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you what know, are you going to do now comes, that you know, you know? Yeah, now that you know something, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And you've, you've got to move forth from there. And it's something has expanded, something you now know, but it's you are still you. You're just, you've just remembered something very important. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, I'm always reminded, uh, reminded of that, um, that scene in The Matrix where... Um, uh, Cipher uh, is is having dinner with Agent Smith, and mm-hmm. you know he says, "I know this steak isn't real," uh, and then he says, "You know, put me back. I don't want to know anymore. You know, I don't want to know the truth. It's it's too hard." Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the Matrix is yeah. a good example of that because you know Neo has this gnosis experience, and the world he wakes up to is infinitely worse than the world he was in before. Yeah. Um, but you have to then go through that because now he knows, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, like, in the, in the second movie, uh, he very much, like, you can tell he's like, well, now, like, yeah, it's cool, you know, I can fly and I can beat up agents and stuff, but I still, I, still, I still live in the world. I still have to go do stuff. I still have to do, like, missions, and I've got crew duties on the Nebuchadnezzar. Like, I've, yeah. I've still got a job, you yeah. know? Um, 
So like enlightenment, it's not like, okay, I'm enlightened. I guess we're, I guess we're all done. Um, yeah, you're the one. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the very last issue of Promethea, which is interesting, is that um, the, the way they did it, so the, it's, it's been the apocalypse. So, and they go through the apocalypse and they're now like, okay, you still have to live in it. But still have one more trick. And the last issue of the book, you actually, so you, you can read it in the order it was published in. But some of the pages are upside down and that all seems kind of weird. And there's these numbers at the top that like don't follow the right order of what the pages you're turning. Turns out you're supposed to take the staples out of the book and assemble a poster in ah. a new fashion. So you essentially have to Armageddon your book to get the new image or the new wisdom. Um, and you got to work for it. Exactly. you got to work for it. And yeah, there's something, there's just something like brilliant about that. It's funny. They, they ended up selling posters of the, like of this image that you could buy later on because basically I'm sure some people were like, I don't want to destroy my comic, but, uh, and I'll admit, like, I don't often, I'm like, I love comics, but I'm not usually the guy that buys three copies of the thing because they have variant cover or something like that. But I did buy a couple of copies of Prometheus so that I could read one in its traditional, its original order. And I could destroy one to get the next story, um, uh, so I kind of hedged my bets there. But, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. So sorry, I kind of went off on a whole Prometheus. No, not all, not yeah. all. I just put it on my on my uh, Amazon wish list. Yeah, yeah. Of We're that. gonna have to do a lot of reading after this. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like you've just made my reading stack go that much higher. But I'm looking forward to that. Well, and you know, comics are interesting because of the word picture combination. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. You can. Like, I would say you, uh, Promethea is as information dense as, say, like, the Holy Kabbalah or whatever. I think it's the Holy Kabbalah by Dion Fortune. Um, mystical Kabbalah. Mystical Kabbalah. Um, it, it's probably as dense as that, but there is so much information that he gets to convey visually. Right. Um, that you don't, like, uh, even though there is a character going, oh, that's that, and that's that, and that's that there's still uh, sign, visual signposts that you can more quickly understand what you're supposed to, what you're looking at. Um, and so comics, like it's, it's interesting is that even though you guys have, might have a big stack now of stuff you need to read, it's you're gonna read that stack of Prometheus so much faster, you yeah. know. There's a lot uh, of information that comes through, through those images. I, I, I know what you're talking about. It's, it's an entirely different experience being say, for example, in an Orthodox church where they have icons on the walls. Yeah, uh, and if you know, in, in, if you, they, they talk about writing icons, they're not drawn. They're they're writing the mm -hmm. icons. I think it's an, an interesting way of putting it. But yes, you see quite quite a bit when you see the pictures of of Mary and Jesus, baby Jesus. Baby Jesus may have a baby face, but he's got the proportions of a man. I mean, there's there's something very specific being communicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, in, sure. in the way those icons were written. So I absolutely, you know, it's interesting. Um, um, I know a comic book, an independent comic book publisher, and he got into comic books because he's severely dyslexic. And so him mm. growing up, it was easier for him to read comics and graphic novels than it was to try and read books. And he ended up becoming a, a comic illustrator and, and that sort of thing. But I actually did a little bit of work for him once. We were, we were oh, working cool. with an idea. And I actually wrote... Uh, what would have been, would have been a page, a couple pages of, of a comic book idea, and he had the artist illustrate it. And it was just one of the more, as a writer, it was one of the most fascinating experiences I've ever had. Oh, totally. Seeing, 
seeing how somebody brought my words to life and it gave me actually a much more well I was happy with what I wrote um, there was a certain affirmation of what I wrote after I had seen the illustrations yeah oh yeah and like some of the best um, writer artist combinations are where where uh, where it's continually complementary the, mm -hmm. uh, the the writer writes something that inspires the artist and then the artist draws stuff that then inspires the art uh, the the writer and in fact actually Prometheus's Genesis uh, and um, creatively was that Alan Moore was going to work with one artist and that artist fell through and so um, uh, Alex Ross the, the cover artist um, suggested to Alan is like well there's this guy J.H. Williams the third he's really good and Alan said you know said talk to him about the idea and uh, Williams said I really like to do full page or sorry double page spreads I want to do pages where like you open the page and it's the whole like the, the, both sides are part of a bigger image um, and that inspired Alan to try stuff visually but then in, that then continued to inspire both of them creatively and turned it into what it became so yeah it's this notion of it kind of keeps on plussing it but see now I'm getting into like comics craftsmanship which is a completely different podcast <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's a uh, podcast out there like that <laughs> there's a few yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, so uh, I, I kind of, like I said, I rambled a lot there about Promethea. Do you guys have any questions or anything about either of those things or like other superhero uh, stuff that maybe? Well, I mean, both of those sound really fascinating. And I uh, probably just like Father Tony and Bishop Peterson, you know, I'm quickly Googling these and then going to Amazon and going, okay, this is kind of on my wish list now. <laughs> you know, got to get this. This sounds really, really good. Um but obviously, from talking to you, I mean, you've got two authors here who, who basically have been putting, you know, kind of their esoteric, mystical, and uh, Gnostic beliefs into their, into their uh, graphic novels and comics. But besides, you know, Alan Moore um, and Grant Morrison, um, are there any other modern day, um, either graphic art, uh, graphic uh, artist? Uh, uh, novels or uh, other comics out there that are still carrying on Gnostic themes or are these the ones that are you know you just think are kind of really cutting edge when it comes to Gnostic yeah. themes? I would say um, just in my own experience and I'm I am I will completely own this if I'm wrong and I would mm -hmm. I would encourage like I would, if anybody's listening to this who is like oh my god I can't believe you didn't talk about X Please let me know because if I either I forgot, which is terrible, or I haven't read it and I want to, so mm -hmm. tell me. Um, but I would say these these two are probably the most explicitly down and out Gnostic. Um, there are other books that I would say are are closer to Gnosticism um, uh, without necessarily being um, as overt. Like uh, what are some of the other ones? There's um, one called Enigma by Peter Milligan. Which is uh, that? That one's about a uh, a telephone repairman, a, a very much a Joe Job guy, who's just living his life. Um, who then starts encountering characters that are, that came out of a comic book called Enigma, and the Enigma character is this uh, almost omnipotent figure who it seems to be forgetful uh, and has no moral compass and needs our our uh, repairman guy. To essentially become that moral compass, but 
the the sort of the, the the reality bending that happens in that narrative and the the exploration of like of beginnings and endings to me mm -hmm. gives it a very gnostic flair um there's also uh i was just what were some of the other ones i was looking at here uh like jack kirby is a character you often hear referenced in comics he's the guy who co-created or created a lot of the the major marvel characters like the fantastic four the x-men thor <laughs> iron man He's, he's basically like one of the biggest creators there. Um, and uh, Jack Kirby, when he, went, when he went on his own to do his own thing, created a, a series of stories about essentially these, these demigod figures um, from, uh, he, he called it the fourth world. Um, if I, if I'm, I hope I'm getting that right. But yeah, so the fourth world. And, and these were characters that on one hand came from like this world of infinite goodness and, and they wanted nothing but positivity and benefit for everybody. And then the other one, the other guys came from a world literally called Apocalypse. Um, and they were ruled by a guy named Darkseid, which is all very, you know, on the nose. But it's in a way, it's the way Kirby told these stories was almost with the perspective of like a, of an epic poet operating in an oral tradition. You know, it was, everything was at the biggest scale it could possibly be. Um, you know, it, like every battle was at the end of time, you know, like it was, uh, and every weapon was like, you know, the doom of the world. It was this, all this huge stuff. But it was, yeah, it was essentially these, these figures from another place, in some cases fighting to, to oppose us, or sorry, fighting to rule us or to liberate us. And uh, again, like this kind of goes back to stuff we were saying earlier. I don't think he was explicitly referencing Gnosticism, but I, it, it feels it feels very Gnosticy, you know, hmm. uh, to me. What about so, this, yeah. um, what about V for Vendetta? Well, I guess I probably should have referenced that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Yeah. Well, and I guess like you know, it's funny. I should have like in a way, in, in many ways, V for Vendetta is so much better known than Promethea. Um, so, so I'm kicking myself for not having mentioned it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, V for Vendetta, I would say is is Gnostic uh, in in that same sense of of fighting against archonic forces. Um, Although what's interesting too is that uh, is that it's also V for Vendetta is also very individualistic. Like it's very much about you taking on your own responsibility um, instead of uh, like uh, and it, because at the very end of the again spoiler warning uh, the very end of the comic you, you you learn that anyone can be V and therefore we all have the responsibility. Uh oh. Oh dear. <laughs> Canadian internet acting up. Hey. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it froze up. Well, well, I think he might be coming back soon, but... Uh, oh, so. no, all right. Anyway. Um, a little uh, finger movement, maybe. <laughs> I, I wanted to bring up V for Vendetta specifically because um, it, as, a, as a film, it's kind of the spiritual successor to The Matrix. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that, um, ah, there we go. Yeah. Oh, and he's back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just saying that as a film, V for Vendetta is kind of the spiritual successor to The Matrix. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, made by the same people and everything, and, and uh, even mm -hmm. starring several of the same people. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Stephen Fry. And Stephen Fry can do no wrong, in my opinion. No. Um, <laughs> no. Nope. So, uh, yeah. So I, I think that coming on the heels of The Matrix especially um, – 
that the the Gnostic elements were emphasized uh, for a lot of people, for me especially. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, V is interesting because, like Alan, Alan himself, in terms of his politics, has said that. Uh, uh, and I mean, it, I, I don't want to say that Alan Moore's perception of the movie is 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 correct simply because he's the author of the comic. Uh, because once something's out in the world, it's out there and people can react to it. Um, but Alan's own politics are very much on the side of, of uh, he would say, anarchism, not in the like, all right, anarchy, like let's let's smash the windows and, and loot the loot the stores, but more like, um, like be like everyone have that own inner discipline uh, and be your own ruler rather than be ruled. Um, uh, and I think for me, V for Vendetta as his story has so much to do with that, but I agree. I think the film is, is much more, much, much more operating in the post matrix and also post nine 11 mm-hmm. world. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and well, I mean, the other thing too is like, is, uh, one thing Alan Moore mentions in Promethea is about like literally how much of the world that we are, that, that surrounds us is just made up. Like is we like, Governments are made up in this, if in the sense that they have the power that we all agree every morning when we get up and to live in the society that we're in to give them. Um, and so there is a what what, what I think uh, Vitor Vendetta is kind of doing is it's kind of saying remember that 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 where that power truly lies and it's in you, not in the government that you're necessarily living. True. Which is interesting to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think and, you could draw a direct parallel to the Archons if you wanted yeah. to look at it in that sense. You know, that, oh, for sure, for it, sure. Uh, certainly, the way that I see Gnosticism is that you know, if you have the if you have the ability to say, you know, I'm not going to be part of that system anymore. We all have that the ability to say that. Uh, yeah. That, Acting on it is a separate <laughs> and more difficult matter, but yes. uh, once yeah. you once you have that ability to say, you know, I recognize that this is something that is not, you know, not the way it should be, and then yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm going to make an attempt to move past it. That's that's the beginning of that liberation, and I, I and that's what I, that's, I think that's what was emphasized in V for Vendetta. Definitely, yeah, and I, and I think like Evie the the. Um Oh shoot! What's her name? The actress, Natalie Portman. famous Natalie Portman. There we go. Yeah, like Natalie Portman is the is the person who gets to experience that. Is yeah. like, you know, um, gets to to sort of uh, like V as a character is almost almost like say you know um, uh, like an, uh, maybe an angelic figure depending on how you want to look at it in terms of Gnostic cosmology. But like, but yeah, this this larger than life figure who gives Evie the chance to to see herself as something bigger. Yeah, she's the stand-in uh, for us in that story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, totally, totally. I'm trying to think of, I, I'm trying to, I'm just going back to that, uh, the question. I, I feel like I'm, as soon as we get off the call, I'm going to remember 12 <laughs> comics that are extremely Gnostic that, yeah, so. Um, well, if you do let us know, you can come back. Yeah, round two, <laughs> <laughs> issue number two. <laughs> yeah, tune in next are, issue. Are there any comics that you see as essentially, and not so much being anti-Gnostic, but that are descriptive of the predicament that Gnosticism identifies? 
Uh, okay, so rather than necessarily pointing the way out, there's sort of more like pointing out what, where the bars are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, there's a creator named Mark Millar who did, um, now like, and I mean, I think he, he's explicitly said that most of his projects are just stuff he hopes will be turned into movies. <laughs> but um, uh, his books are like, for example, Kick-Ass mm -hmm. was, was uh, one of his and uh, Wanted. Um, and, a, and a bunch of others that are they're either in production or post-production or, you know, were in production, got canceled, all that kind of stuff. But Mark Millar's stuff is very dark, uh, very cynical. Um, and in many ways, yeah, I think, again, whether or not he's intending to do it, I think he is, Mark Millar is definitely saying, you know, like the world is kind of a terrible place. And, you know, maybe the best thing you could do is, you know, is profit from it while you can you know um okay. the 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 wanted comic book is like gleefully cruel um uh to to the world and and to the characters around it and and the last page is probably the most provocative last page i've ever read of a comic are we allowed are we allowed to swear on here yeah why not oh yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> um so it's pretty like and I mean, this is pretty off color, and, I, and I'm almost hoping that this gets edited out because I don't know if I want to be on the internet saying this. <laughs> we um, don't edit. <laughs> no. You you don't edit? No. Nope. No. Nope. Okay. Well then, uh, maybe I will just allude. I will allude to what it says. <laughs> uh, but essentially, he should. The last page is uh, the main character saying, "You, the reader, your life sucks because you're buying these comics." And you're, you know, like you're going to your Joe job and you're never doing anything and you're never getting off your ass. And, uh, and that's why people like me are always better than you and <laughs> we're rich and important. And the last page is basically his face. The guy is basically drawn like Eminem. Um, and the last line, I think, is this is my face while I'm bleeping you up the bleep. <laughs> <laughs> and you are so much more civilized than I am. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you really well, are. You have a refinement that I'll never have. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things. I'm like, mm, do I want somebody to be googling? You know, my my mom is on the internet now. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> be like, what did you say? <laughs> I don't know if she'll listen to this whole thing, but uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So so yeah, he's definitely he's willfully negative. Um, yeah. In, in a lot of ways, uh, there's also now the, there's one one other writer, uh, Warren Ellis, who's Warren Ellis is actually I, I he's I put him up with with uh, Grant Morrison and Ellen Moore in terms of really solid writers who uh, who have something important to say. I think Warren has never explicitly went a Gnostic path the same way Grant Morrison and Ellen Moore have, but he definitely he cannot ignore the the worst parts of the world that we live in and many of his comics move through those 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 spheres um but there's always a kernel of hope or a kernel of beauty somewhere in there um he uh, he did one book called transmetropolitan which the best way i could describe that is it's hunter s thompson in a blade runner future mm -hmm. um and it's an amazing book uh, it's full of some of the most filthy swearing I've ever heard. There's possibly the best insults I've ever read have been out oh, of this book. It's, it's gleeful. It's funny. It's dark. Um, the writing is just meaty and great. Like it's, you know, I, I, every time, like I, I, I often read Transmetropolitan when I want to get fired up about something I'm writing. Um, 
because he, it's got that kind of sparky kind of vibe. Uh, but but this journalist, this Spider Jerusalem is the name of the character, um, and he is so passionate about the truth and, and about the people's right to get the truth um, that, that he goes to the darkest places because people need to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the, that's sort of the light in it. The, the, the light in the, in the dark cave from is, is Warren Ellis kind of going, there's still something of value there. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like a lot of, a lot of Warren stuff can be very nasty. But it's not. But but there, in every single book, there are these characters who want to make the world a better place. Okay. And they're fabulously smart people in those in those stories. So yeah, like uh, that would be kind of yeah. So again, long rambling answer, but that would be definitely some characters I think who are uh, talking about the the, 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 the they're, they're not they're not opening the cage. They're saying we're in a prison, um, yeah. and it sucks. But you know. Well, Warren Ellis is saying, but Mark Millar is saying, we're in a prison. I just wrote a comic about it. Where's my movie deal? <laughs> it reminds me a little bit, um, and this is, again, this is going back over 20, probably, you know, go over 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but when I was into Suicide Squad back then, I guess mm-hmm. they're, they're doing a movie version with uh, Viola Davis, which I'm kind of excited about. Yeah. But back, you know, 20 years ago, in, in Suicide Squad, you know, it, it was it was a. Um, it was cynical. It was a very cynical series. Just a brief recap for those of you who aren't familiar with it. You have a, a woman named Amanda Waller. She was an African-American woman living in uh, the projects of Chicago, lost her family, most of her family, to street violence or drugs. Uh, she got herself out, got educated, became a, became a political consultant, and eventually um, led, she does not have any superpowers, but she led up a team of people with superpowers who were criminals and who wanted to redeem themselves by taking on deadly missions um, in order to get pardons. And um, it was a very, very different series at that time uh, for, for me. Just, you know, when you have, when you have, you know, comic books in DC and the Marvel Universe that were about truth, justice, and the American way, this was, you know, these were people who were criminals who were just trying to, um, you know, who for, who for political reasons were taking on deadly missions just to get themselves out of jail. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and you know, Amanda Waller was a woman who had largely been failed by an archonic si- uh, system, but she managed to do something with it uh, and with herself and, and to use the system so she could get to the position that she was in. But she was still heading up a group full of very unhealthy people. Uh, doing very unhealthy things. Hmm. Yeah, I would say yeah, that's actually great. Um, and I would say Suicide Squad is again like it's one of those things where what we were talking about before. They, I don't think they were explicitly trying to, no. to 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 get into that, but that, that's what the writers were interested in. And then the, those 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 qualities kind of come out. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Suicide Squad. You, you mentioned that, and that got me thinking about. Oh shoot! It was a major shift oh. in my white bread girl, middle upper middle class brain. Yeah, this, this this way of approaching things. I mean, I grew up watching the Super Friends and mm-hmm. the Justice League, and and you know, telling the kids to brush their teeth in between the stories and things like that. Yeah. And here was a comic book that was just you know, there it wasn't anything particularly supernatural. It was just it wasn't anything particularly good. It was just this this incredible cynicism. 
Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you know, that's that's also like a lot of '80s comics is is yeah. what, like, and that's what uh, V for Vendetta came out of. Um, uh, I think actually when they wrote V for Vendetta, uh, Alan Moore was saying um, that that the world was basically such that that everybody kind of figured this is it. This is the worst it can possibly be, you know, <laughs> and we may not ever get out of it. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, the, 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 the atomic clock was like one second to doomsday kind of thing. Um, and it this very dark world. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I think it inspired a lot of very dark art or a lot of art of a lot of artists really processing that and going like, what, it, what is this and how do we get through it? You know, um, and actually, you know, like characters like the X-Men um, and Spider-Man, like a lot of the Marvel characters that came in the 60s and 70s as well, I think we're, we're also kind of getting into that, that notion of uncertainty. Like you're talking, you know, the, the DC characters, they came out of a brighter time, like mm-hmm. Superman is truth, justice in the American way. And also half the time, you know, it's Superman being a dick because some magic thing has happened and it's caused him to not realize something. There's actually a Tumblr, I think, out there called Superman is a Dick, where it's all the covers of things where like, you know, like Lois Lane is marrying a gorilla and Superman, I'm making this up, but I'm sure something like this exists. You know, Superman is Superman is like, you know, like, I hate being the best man, but Lois has to marry this gorilla, you know, and she'll never know why. And then, you know, read inside for the truth of the you know, the hairy marriage or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> maybe oh, I should just, <laughs> I'm, like you know, you, you, if you Google that, like, you know, Superman is a dick and read some of those, you're going to be like, wow, Jason was tame in comparison to what they actually did back in the twenties or the thirties. But, um, but yeah, so these were like a brighter time and the characters were, were, were very much like just about stopping the bad guy, you know, and letting everybody get on with their, like, you know, middle-class white bread, you know, uh, existence, which actually didn't exist. Um, yes. and, and then the sixties and seventies come along and everybody's like, Oh my God, the sixties or the, the, the middle-class white bread life doesn't exist. And I've got angst and I don't know what I am or who I am and I don't <laughs> know what to be, you know? Um, and yeah, a lot of those comics are, were an enter Gnosticism. Exactly. Bam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I and I think yeah, in, you know, in a lot of ways, maybe not enter Gnosticism explicitly, um, but enter Gnosticism as a method, you know, as a yeah, as a. You said at the at the very beginning of the video show that you know that these these ideas are just kind of in the air anyway, and mm-hmm. we've said that a lot actually when we're talking about movies and things like that. That you also you almost can't help but you know in the popular culture. Uh, find Gnostic ideas because they're just so universal. And, you know, uh, people who don't study Gnosticism as we do don't recognize them as Gnostic per se because they just don't, you know, they don't know those symbols. But for yeah. those of us who have the kind of Gnostic worldview, it's it's almost impossible not to see Gnosticism every place just because well, it's part of the, uh, part of being human, I think. And I think, I think also too, like a lot of what leads us to Gnosticism is, is gnosis is that is the is that like um, <laughs> tingly sense, not unlike a spider sense, maybe of um, of something beyond our perception that is exciting and compelling and big and yeah. and like and all of these things, it, it, these unspeakable things because they're beyond language. But um, what what uh, the reason 
those or the reason a lot of these pop culture things are successful in a way, in, in, I think, is because they're giving people little bits of gnosis. The, the, yeah. the excitement of why they love the thing that they love is because it has the thing we call gnosis. But for them, they're just calling it a good movie or a good comic or a good whatever. Like, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so like the, uh, I, I haven't mentioned a lot of theater stuff, but my, my, my day job is actually I work for a theater company um, as the artistic director. And mm-hmm. what I describe, um, the reason, so, I mean, what, what got me interested in Gnosis was, uh, was Dungeons and Dragons. I mentioned that, I think maybe in between the two shows, but, um, uh, what I, um, what, what keeps me here is that when I heard about Gnosis as a, as an experience or as a thing that happens, I'm like, that's what happens when I'm telling a story. When I'm when I'm directing a play, and the actors and the audience and everyone in the room are just part of something that's actually bigger than any of us. That tingle is is uh, is for me the like the, the the feathers kind of trailing the trailing the scalp of of that like you know uh, of that experience you know of gnosis. Um, and I think when when an artist is is chasing that. They're chasing gnosis, even if they don't know that that's what they call it. Hmm. Uh, let me shift gears real quick because we're getting towards the end of our time. Uh, so sure. you uh, you have produced some comic books. I have. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, the, I've, I've published two anthologies, two and a half anthologies, uh, two anthologies called Fight Comics. Uh, that's Fight Comics. Uh, that's the whole the whole title, um, but they're actually anthology stories, and I really just use the title as a way to get people into stories that are completely varied. Um, uh, they, they they go into different genres, different types of stories. There's only a few that are actually just fighting of action violence. Um, one of them, is the courtroom of the future gods, is characters not unlike the characters Jack Kirby's created. Um, Characters that that ha- are, have almost unlimited power, still grappling with limitations and how to how to surpass them. Um, uh, there's another one called Counting on It, in which a young girl is is in the middle of a kung fu battle against this person who's not just fighting her, but keeps on kind of attacking her sense of self worth and her. And, uh, and by the end of the story, you realize that she has been fighting herself and has defeated that the part of herself that was trying to keep her back or hold on to her, um, like literally grappling with her. Um, uh, so those are two stories in the first volume. And in the second volume, um, the second one, I, I mean, the, the, the first volume I think has these, and I, and I should say, I didn't write those, even though I am like, I'm I, at that point I was full fledged Gnostic. I was going to, you know, um, uh, to, to a liturgy with his eminence and, and, um, and all of that. But, Somehow when writing them, I didn't intend for them to be Gnostic. And now I look at them and I'm like, oh, they're kind of Gnostic. Um, the second volume is almost more, um, uh, I, would, I would say that some of those stories are actually more about what happens when we let the Arconic forces win. Um, mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's one story in the second volume uh, where a, uh, a young man is upset because the android that he's fallen in love with can't reciprocate. And the android has even said, like, listen, it's not, like, it's really, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I am an android and I can't love. Like, it's just not possible. Like, 
it's not even that I don't want to. I can't even love someone else. Like, I just can't love. And uh, and he takes it badly, the uh, the, the young man. Um, and I think that's that's about like you know the you know the 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 dark side of love or the archonic quality that that sometimes love can have, where you're where love gets obsessive, where love gets more about wanting something, wanting to wanting to take something rather than wanting to give something. Um, uh, there's another one um, that is sort of a spy story, but is also ultimately about uh, about uh, about a man who who someone has tried to silence. They've tried to keep him from talking. Um, that one's that, that one's actually probably the most I don't know violent story in either of the two volumes. Mainly because the it was an idea, just a cool idea. Me and the artist had the artist had the kind of the initial idea, and I fleshed it out. But again, yeah, there's something in there about the the bits of silence. But now that said, there are some bright spots. There's um, there's this uh, there's this young woman who's looks like she's being attacked by a giant robot. And I'm going to spoil my own story here. Um, she's actually trying to get close to that giant robot so she can talk to it because it turns out that giant robot has incited the brain of her grandpa who'd gone missing. And she's trying to wake it up. So there's very much, like, there's sort of a, you could, you could sense there's a sense of remembrance and returning there. Um, and on the upside, too, that now, you know, this young woman, uh, her grandpa is now a, like, 14-foot uh, giant robot, and that's got benefits, you know. Um, they're living in a post-apocalyptic world, so there's downsides, but overall. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those are, uh, those are maybe the more Gnostic-y, parts of fight comics, which, um, which are, uh, in many ways accidental. <laughs> mm. And if you want to, uh, if you want to read those right now, just go to fightcomics.ca. Yep. And you can, uh, you can read them all right there on, on the website. So yeah, I'm doing the, uh, the whole creative Commons thing. Yeah. I support that. My, my book was creative Commons too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Creative Commons. Yeah. Cory Doctor is my to... hero. I was just going to say we should can if can you guys somehow get Cory Doctorow on Talknosis and then I will be a, like an ancillary host or something just so I can be in the room. Yeah, sure. He'll sit there and he'll be like, "What am I doing here? <laughs> Why do you well, want to actually, talk to me?" You know, I, I this is almost an idea here is that because Cory Doctorow is Jewish um, and a huge civil libertarian and a tech uh, a huge tech guy, um, there might be something there about like holy texts, how they get transmitted, how they get communicated. I mean, you know, you make a case for it. You could probably find a way to get them on it. <laughs> get some folks from the OTO on, too, to talk about their copyright cases. Oh, my God, a Gnostic copyright show. That would be so awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm frightened. <laughs> right, have I scared you? Have I crossed a line, Father? <laughs> I don't know I about think, a line. I, think... I just... I do have to say, I think we found a way to take a show about Gnosticism and comic books, and we made it nerdier by talking about copyright. <laughs> you bet. Yep. We are, we are archon, super talented. Is there an archon for copyright? <laughs> oh, yeah, you better believe it. And is the Aeon parody then? or? <laughs> uh, yeah, copy left. Um. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you, Jason, for being on the show. And um, I, I, oh, my I think I can speak for the hosts and when I say that, you know, I think we had a lot of fun on this one. This was a, a super interesting topic. And, you know, cool. uh, uh, yeah, it's so, so glad I we got to uh, have the conversation. Very glad to be able to meet you.
and I didn't ramble too much. Well, no, no, it's, it's a talk Jason's show. That's awesome. the point. The whole point. That's true. <laughs> no, no, keep talking. <laughs> the longer you talk, the less we have to. Absolutely. <laughs> I can sit back and, and listen and go, God, this is really cool. Yeah, some inside like, baseball. I, and I can Google all these things you're talking about going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got to buy this. Oh, yeah, this looks great. The internet is amazing. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, so fightcomics.ca, uh, jasonmemmel.com is his website, uh, and yep, uh, you know if you're in the Calgary area, go and, and hang out at his theater and buy a ticket and uh, see some shows. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. and for the rest of you who are listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Take Bye. care, everybody. Good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.